This is Wireframe. I'm Koi Vin, Senior Director of Design at Adobe and the host of this podcast. And it's the launch of our brand new season. And this year, Wireframe scope is expanding beyond interaction design. And I've got two producers who are going to help me share these stories. First up, Dominic Gerard. Hi again. I'm back for another season. Welcome back, Dom. Hi. And we've also got a new member of the team, producer Pippa Johnstone. Hello, hello. So Wireframe is still about design, but now we're looking at all kinds of designers and creatives too, and at how they shape our everyday lives. Yeah, and so we'll meet UX designers, sure, but also graphic designers or typographers or illustrators. But also artists and activists too. There's a whole world of design stories that we want to explore. So let's get started. Design. Creativity. Wireframe. A podcast from Adobe. So, Pippa and Dom, mm -hmm. yeah. I want to start out by taking a look at this app that I've been talking about. It's the Burger King app. And you guys are familiar with Burger King, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a giant, uh, massive fast food burger chain. Okay, just Basically, just McDonald's <laughs> direct competitor. Yeah, yeah, you know, the, the, the home of the Whopper. The, that's their signature hamburger. <laughs> exactly. So this is a brand that's been around since the 1950s. And a lot of people know it. They're familiar with the logo. And Burger King actually completely redesigned their brand this year. So when you take a look at the app and you check out the new logo, I want to ask you what you see. And maybe Pippa, if you could describe it for us. Yeah, uh, the logo is really simple. It has the words burger and king, kind of like the meat of a burger. They're stacked on top of each other. And they're like, you know, ketchup red, very curvy letters. And there's a thick orangey bun-like shape on top and a thinner bun on the bottom. Yeah, that orange is muted and soft, and the red letters are, like you said, very ketchup-y. And even the letter G in burger and in king, it looks like swirly ketchup squirts as well. <laughs> uh, and there's also a light beige background, and that makes the logo really pop, I think. Yeah, it looks like they've gone back to uh, an old logo, like the one I remember from being a kid, and then just dumped everything else. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, there are some tiny differences, like the proportions of the buns are taller and tighter, and then the space between that and the typeface is just a bit wider, I think. And the kerning or the letter spacing is a bit wider too, so it all feels less crowded, it feels cleaner, it feels more fun. But really, the whole thing, the colors, the typeface, everything, to me, it has an unmistakable retro vibe to it. Yeah, I look at it, and now I'm picturing the Burger King that I grew up near when I was a kid. <laughs> and now I'm hearing the flame-broiled sound effect from the old commercials. Maybe you remember that, too. And now I almost want to say I can kind of smell it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> By the way, listeners, you can find links to all these images in the show notes to this episode. Now, Dom and Pippa, when you look at this logo, how does it make you feel? I feel a sense of sort of comfort, uh, like a familiarity, kind of the warm and fuzzies. Yeah, it feels old school in a cozy way. And, well, you want us to say nostalgic, maybe? Yeah, I do. Is it nostalgia that you're looking for? Yeah, yeah. let's hear you say it. <laughs> it feels nostalgic, Koi. Yeah. The point is... I've noticed, and I think you guys have noticed too, that we are all kind of prone to nostalgia lately, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I've been seeing it everywhere and it makes sense, right? Like there's so much turmoil, there's so much upheaval. Like you want something that feels familiar. You want that comfort. It's not just you saying it though, Pippa. Like psychologists have been reporting on this very thing. Mm-hmm. Times of trauma lead to times of nostalgia. Yeah. Right. And it's in this context, this headspace, that we get this brand new Burger King logo, which really looks like something from a few decades ago. And so for this first episode of our new season, I thought the best way to look forward would be to look back. So we're starting off by talking about nostalgia and design. Yeah, and creativity. I mean, we want to look at what does it mean to design something nostalgic? Is it a good creative strategy or can nostalgia come back and bite you? So the best place to start is probably to go to the actual team who made this Burger King redesign. Right. Pippa, take us to the king of burgers. So I want you to meet two people. Lisa Smith is an executive creative director at Jones Knowles Ritchie, the agency that worked on this redesign. And Rafa Abreu led the design team on the Burger King side. Here's what they say about your theory, Koi, that the new design is nostalgic. I don't see any issue of people having nostalgic feelings about the identity at all. I think what I love most of all about people saying that it has that nostalgic and warmth, it feels like the brand that it should have always been. Yeah, it sounds like Rafa and Lisa agree here that the new logo makes at least some of us feel nostalgic. Yeah, and it's something that Rafa noticed when they first tested the new branding. And we do see that, for instance, young couples that are starting family now, so their 30s, late 20s, and uh, there was a lot of resonance with them. And I think it's because they have like a slightly overlap because they probably seen that identity while they were kids. See, that's what I was saying when we were kids. Yeah, and that logo you're remembering, Dom, it stuck around from 1969 to the millennium. Then in 1999, they completely revamped the logo. And that's the one that's recently been replaced. What we had there before this rebrand wasn't representing us anymore. That is an understatement. I mean, the previous one looked like it was stuck in the 1990s. Very Saved by the Bell or something. I mean, it still had the Burger King name in a kind of a burger shape, but the font is kind of italicized, like it's in a rush to be somewhere. And then the yellow bun looks glossy for some reason. And then there's a big blue swirl that wraps around the whole thing, almost like a sports-like swoosh. It was very odd. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it worked great for its time, but now I think it's uh, it's time for a change. Yeah, it, to me, it looks like a cheap skateboard sticker, like made by a company trying to like fit in with the cool kids. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Harsh, Dom. <laughs> but actually, Rafa would agree with you. It feels stuck on that time of the 90s, early 2000s, and didn't age well because I think it was very off the moment. So we want to avoid the trendy, especially on the logo itself, so it sounds like they go back in time and they go back to what worked before and mm-hmm. maybe they give it a little bit of a touch up. But the effect is that it makes me nostalgic for fast food hamburgers. <laughs> Except the thing is, Rafa and Lisa both say that they didn't design it to be nostalgic. Come on. Uh, really? <laughs> yeah, they say basically this was an accident. There was this big feeling or perception that we are doing like a retro identity. That I found it surprising, to be honest. A lot of people said the colors uh, feel very nostalgic. And you're like, 
really, they're the flame grilling process. So they're like the barbecue brown, the fiery uh, orange, the, the flaming red. So what other colors would we have done for Burger King? Yeah, that's kind of mind-boggling to me. It just seems so obvious. Mm-hmm. You can't look at this new logo and the older one and not see how much they look alike. I mean, okay, so I pressed them on this, but no, they said this just wasn't part of their plan. Almost the opposite, actually. It wasn't like nostalgia was a criteria that we designed to. If anything, we were trying to avoid it in terms of we're always trying to think about the future and where the brand needs to go and especially knowing how much digital is transforming the Burger King experience today, whether that's you're ordering on an app, you're getting delivery, you're seeing digital menu boards, more and more of that kind of language is happening and you have to make sure that the identity is fit for all of those kind of touch points. I like to say that we're not going backwards. Uh, That was not the, the move that we intended to, but more go inwards into what best represents ourselves, right? That idea of going inwards, I mean, that's totally fine. I get that. But, you know, the net result is whether I'm looking at it in their app or on their website or in the actual stores, all I see is this very nostalgic callback. Yeah, but see, now I'm wondering, yes, they look back into history, but maybe this nostalgia is something that we're forcing on the brand. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, maybe. But, you know, at the same time, food brands do tend to use nostalgia all the time. I mean, there's Kentucky Fried Chicken. Like, they put out these odd vintage holiday buckets last Christmas. That's smart. I mean, like, Christmas is all about nostalgia. Yeah, it is. You know, I I think generally, though, food brands, all kinds of food brands, want their customers to feel warm and comforted. And you see that in their branding and in their packaging. Mm -hmm. Okay, but but if Burger King is saying that this nostalgia was, well, for them, a happy accident, we still need a food brand, like you said, that can explain how they are evoking nostalgia, how they're doing it on purpose. And fortunately, that is exactly what I found. And Koi, as a bonus... This next story is still about hamburgers. You had me at hamburgers, Tom. <laughs> I thought so. <laughs> so that thing Lisa said about future-proofing the brand, right? Building a look that works regardless of the digital user experience. Mm-hmm. Well, this next design is for a company called Meetable, and Meetable kind of only exists in the future right now. And the designers realize that this future could use a little nostalgia. Just a pinch of nostalgia. Don't go over overboard with it. You need to take the codes from the past. It's all about talking about the future here. So this is Arthur Fulliard. He's French. He's 30 years old. And he's a director at a design firm called Koto, K-O-T-O. They're in London, and they were hired by Meetable. So what is Meetable? And what do you mean when you say that it only exists in the future, Dom? Meetable, right. So they're a Dutch company, and they're trying to perfect cultivated meat. And and by cultivated meat, I mean meat grown in a lab, Whoa. right? Meat that doesn't come from animals. So wait, they're actually selling lab-grown meat right now, like in the supermarket? No, 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 not yet. That, that's the plan, though, right? They, they think they can figure it out. Oh. But they already know, though, that if they do pull this off, they're going to have to convince people like you and me that, you know, not only is lab-grown meat safe, but that it's delicious and that it's worth buying. Mm-hmm. So one of the first things this design team asks themselves to figure out this riddle is 
well, in the future, what happens to animals when, when our meat doesn't have to come from them anymore? What happens to the animals when we no longer raise them for meat? And we thought, well, they just retire. <laughs> animals in retirement, right? I love that idea. And it's a key design inspiration. So, so guys, hold on to that image just for a minute. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Now, let me show you how some of this plays out. First, let's just take a look at the website. Here it is. Pippo, what do you see and how do you feel when you look at it? Um, I see mountains. Uh, I'm looking at green fields. I see some cows grazing in a pasture. Yeah. Retired cows, presumably. Pres- presumably, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but the whole thing is very natural, very clean. It, it makes me want to go outside. Well, yeah, and that's, of course, that's the idea, right? And I, I wanted to know more about it, so I asked Arthur the same question that I just asked you, right? Describe the site and reflect on how it makes him feel. And to me, his answer just oozes nostalgia. I hear the wind. I may hear a few cows. You also have... Like nothing, almost. Maybe a little breeze. Yeah, yeah. When I was a uh, when I was a kid, and I would go to yeah the countryside, and then you would just you know stop, and you would get out of the car, and you would stop for a second, and you can you know feel the wind and and hear it, and and yeah, that sensation of peace is so strong. That's lovely. He's nostalgic for his own childhood and it shows up in the design. Yeah. So now we have these idyllic, peaceful landscapes, right? We have happy, retired cows. And stay with me. I want to show you one more example of how this nostalgic feeling really comes together. Koi, check these images out. What do you see? These look like postcards. There's mountains and lakes and there's cows and... You know, these are the kinds of things you might have sent when you're driving across the country in 1955 or something. Yeah. Pippa, what are you picking up on? Oh, I love these. I'm seeing like really saturated colors with like old style typefaces and scalloped edges. So to be clear, these aren't actual postcards, right? These are just digital images used to help promote the brand. But Arthur says they are inspired by actual vintage postcards. And from thinking about those retired cows, they're thinking, what do retired people do? Right? What did retired animals do? Well, they probably travel. And that's. And they send postcards. They send postcards. That's exactly right. Wish you were here. Wish you were here. Greetings from Switzerland. So, Arthur and the Kodo team, they just start buying as many as they can find. And so we decided to literally buy hundreds of them. I'm laughing because it was such a funny process, but Romania, USA, France, Germany, Switzerland, you name them. And um, we laid them down on, you know, a table. There was so much. We have a big table that got over so much. And we realized, you know, they all use frames and they all have a nice rounded serif typeface. And, and they often have a photo of an animal in a, you know, quite mark, natural environment, like mountainsides. And stylistically, they had that lighthearted spirit we wanted to portray. Yeah, that's a classic design strategy. I mean, for a lot of designers, when they're attempting to create something new, it's really helpful to ground their vision in something tangible. 
so that it inspires the right choices and so that the final design ultimately makes sense. Yeah, and so you'd think hundreds of vintage postcards would have given them plenty of inspiration. But why are they vintage, Dom? I mean, isn't it enough just to play with those natural pastoral animal themes without having to call back to the past? Like I was saying earlier, this is a company that only exists in the future. It doesn't have a history. So Koto realizes they can create one. They can create a sense of a history. And if they do that, they can align the brand to values that fit well in the past. So first of all, we started to use the aesthetic of the 60s and the 70s, but most of it you think about, you know, Woodstock and, you know, like flower power in a way. And we found that it's actually such a spot on era for us to use because it's going to give us everything we need to express ourselves confidently on all the subjects that really matter, like industrial farming, environmental impact, and so on and so on. Okay, that makes sense, right? Because it's like these aesthetics are a shortcut to environmentalism, idealism, themes that a nostalgic view of the 60s kind of echo for us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, designers often use shortcuts like this to help make that emotional connection between a user and a product. I mean, whatever makes the point efficiently and simply will do. And so for Meetable, it seems like it's all about creating a familiarity through nostalgia, Mm -hmm. sort of like... This is the lab-grown meat that your grandparents would have loved, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what they were after. So they can actually push that as much as they want to because it's really all hypothetical. But what happens when you're a brand that actually does have a history? And what if that history has some problematic moments to it? You're wondering, like, what are nostalgia's limits? Exactly. That's exactly what I'm wondering. Because nostalgia, you can only go so far with it, I think. I mean, creatively, at least. It can really do more harm than good if designers aren't careful. Hmm. And that actually is a story that I've been looking for. And I actually went out and asked a friend about it. Okay, let's hear it. So... The difference between nostalgia and history is that nostalgia isn't so much interested in what actually happened before because it's an emotion, right? Mm. So it can actually paper over some dark parts of actual real history. This is the thing you're worried about. This is the thing that I'm worried about. My name is Bobby Martin, and I am one of the co-founders of Champions Design, a branding and design agency. We're based in New York City. So Bobby's a friend of mine, and he's designed for a lot of brands, including, notably, a project that he did for the Girl Scouts of America. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, and about as nostalgic as it could be. Right? So I asked him how he knows when nostalgia goes too far. Okay, so let's turn this around a little bit. What are the downsides of nostalgia as a branding strategy? I mean, where does it become problematic? Well, it becomes problematic when it's style, uh, when it's approached as a kind of decorative motif to maybe inauthentically signify certain qualities of a, of a certain time or place or of a certain thing. And so it, that's where it becomes something that feels almost um, amusement park-like versus something that feels like it has this long, rich history to it. When it becomes cliche and kitsch is where I start to struggle with nostalgia. So on this point, there's a really instructive example of another food brand that has suffered through this pretty recently. Guys, I take it you both know about the Aunt Jemima controversy? Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So 
The Aunt Jemima brand has always had this character on their packaging on their syrup bottles, for example. And this Aunt Jemima character dates back to old minstrel shows. And so having this label still in circulation perpetuates a problematic racial stereotype of this African-American kind of in a servant's role. Yeah, yeah. And Uncle Ben's had a similar problem. Yeah, that's right. Both these companies are now renaming themselves after being rightly called out for this offensive racist branding. And this is an example of how nostalgia can really go wrong. Um, you know, I think being a, a, a black man in, in branding, <laughs> there's so much to take in with the Aunt Jemima brand. I mean, there's just the horrible racist history that of, of kind of minstrelsy and, and slavery and symbolism like Aunt Jemima and others signify. And so it took a lot longer to change that brand than I uh, would have expected to have happened. So this image of Aunt Jemima is finally being booted out of there. It's gone. The new name will be rolled out this summer, and it's now called Pearl Milling Company. What? Well, so, okay, the bottle, it looks almost exactly the same. It's pretty much the same design. But Pearl Milling is the company that originally held the Aunt Jemima name. Oh. And I should also say that all of this is owned by a massive company called PepsiCo. PepsiCo, hmm. right. Okay. <laughs> but but to come back to this Pearl Milling Company name, it's not much of a product name, really. Eh, no, it's not, is it? It seems like strategic triage like or or almost like an off-brand. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, yeah, syrup, yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> and it says since 1889 next to the image. So there's the connection to their history. And I think one of the challenges I have with this, and there's a lot of danger in that, especially when we're coming out of the last few years politically saying, let's go back to that era when everything was great. But then was it so great? So maybe nostalgia has something of like a shelf life. Hmm. Yeah, because... I mean, it's uncomfortable to say this, but there was a time when these images, they did feel comforting and nostalgic to a lot of people. Mm. I mean, fortunately, that's changed. I mean, Uncle Ben's is now called Ben's Originals, and that image is gone. Good. And the Pearl Milling Company, they replaced Aunt Jemima with a black and white illustration of an old mill. Now, on that point, Bobby thinks that they missed an opportunity to just do away with history or nostalgia altogether. I wonder if they would have taken a much bigger and better step if they would have just started from scratch and said, this is who we want to be, this is who we are, and acknowledging the, the challenges that they've had in the past, but then just not continuing to go back to the past, but just really kind of map out a, a, a new way of paving the path forward. So you guys remember how earlier I mentioned that Bobby worked with the Girl Scouts? Yeah. Yeah. What happened with that one? So his experience there kind of echoes the Burger King story. Like them, he reached back into the Girl Scouts history for an iconic logo, and then he gave it a bit of an update. When we first started working with the Girl Scouts of the USA, the logo that they had been using had been around for, I think, over 30 years. It was created by an iconic designer, Saul Bass, and, and his team uh, in 1978. And what we didn't want to do is totally throw out all of the work that had been done over the last 30, 35 years. And so what we ended up doing was going into the archive at the Girl Scouts National Headquarters in New York. And there was this temperature-controlled area where the, they had 
cookie tins and labels on uniforms, and they just just stacked up as, as high as you could see. And we spent days in this archive going through and taking pictures of all of the different iconography and colors and uh, materials that were made. Did you ask how many cookies he ate when he was working on this? You know, I didn't ask. I just made some assumptions. <laughs> <laughs> and what we learned is that there was a symbol that had been part of the Girl Scouts that was even older than that, that had been at the heart of the Girl Scouts' kind of brand identity since the beginning. It was called a, a trefoil, and it was this this mm-hmm. um, almost kind of militaristic— Like the cookie, right? Exactly, exactly. Like the trefoil cookie. Well, hang on. What's a trefoil again? It's basically a fancy name for a three-leaf clover. (laughs) So the shape of the logo is a trefoil, and it's got the silhouettes or profiles of three girls contained within it. And the work that Bobby did was to update the shapes of those silhouettes. One of the the tweaks that we made was just uh, some refinement and kind of a bit more detail in the faces so that it felt like it it could be uh, a girl from any different background, any ethnicity, uh, so you can you can all kind of look up into that 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 symbol and see themselves. So when I hear Bobby updating an old logo to to better reflect the Girl Scouts of today, it makes me think of what Arthur said about Meetable, right? About using the codes of the past to talk about the future. It's like you need to make sure that what you design still works in today's culture, even if you're trying to be a little nostalgic. Because if it looks too old, it will feel old, too. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, it's really incumbent upon the designer to do their homework here because you may end up papering over a really problematic period, a really problematic time. And that's not just risky, it's irresponsible. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, nostalgia is powerful, but also it's personal, right? It changes from generation to generation. What makes me nostalgic might not be what makes you nostalgic. Mm -hmm. So I feel like as a creativity tool, you have to be kind of careful with it. But, you know, there's never a bad time to get a vintage postcard in the mail from a retired, traveling, happy cow from the future. <laughs> Great image to end on. Yeah, a, a weird one, but I'll go with it. That's the end of our first episode and the start of our fourth season. If you like the show, and we hope you do, please leave us a rating and a review in the Apple Podcast Store. It helps us know what you like, and it helps others find us. Thanks, team. Thanks. Dominic Gerard and Pippa Johnstone are producers on the show. Our sound designer is Christian Prohm. I'm Koi Vin, and this is Wireframe, a podcast from Adobe. Learn more about how Adobe Creative Cloud unlocks creativity for all at adobe.ly slash wireframe. <laughs> <laughs>